Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths about the Word of Life and the life we live. God has given you a book. The tests of life are here. The final exam is in here. Nowhere else. He's not going to ask you something about Webster's Dictionary, about global warming, or the economics of the United States. He's going to ask you about the Word of God. And if you know the Word of God, you can know how to live the life of God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. One of the essential ingredients for the success of any organization or government is a good constitution. Without it, there's chaos and confusion. Today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah as he shares on the importance of following the greatest constitution ever, the Word of God. Let's listen as he brings us this simple truth in today's message. Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 1 through 12, and the message is entitled, A Call to the Word. Nehemiah's call to the Word is characterized by the following three truths. It is realized by personal hunger for the Word of God, verses 1 through 3. Secondly, It is rewarding by proper exposition of the Word of God, verses 4 through 8. And thirdly, it results in penetrating conviction of the Word, 9 through 12. Personal hunger, proper exposition, penetrating conviction. That's what the Word of God does, ladies and gentlemen. Notice in verse 1, all the people gathered together as one man and told Ezra to bring the law of Moses. The emphasis noted is on being of one mind and purpose, desiring God's word. The occasion is just weeks after the completion of the wall in chapter 6, verse 5. If they didn't return to the word of God, they would be destroyed again. All the people were those who were old enough to appreciate and discern the meaning. The priest Ezra brought forth the law. That was his responsibility. They were all in one accord as to their desire to know the mind of God, to do the will of God. This is what marks the people of God. This is what makes a family effective in a neighborhood. This is what makes a church effective in a community. The people that come to the church are being the church and they're growing in the word of God and they have a desire and a hunger for the word of God. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after, for righteousness for they shall be filled. Word of God. A call to the word is realized by personal hunger for the word. Notice secondly, verses 4 through 8. A call to the word is... Rewarding by proper exposition. What I mean by proper exposition is by proper handling of the text so as to bring about the meaning of the life situation when it was written so then application can be made for today. So you have to deal with, and we'll move into a little bit more as we go along, the historical background, the context, and the language, whether it be Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, 
Okay, it doesn't mean you have to know those languages, but there are commentators and scholars that do, and they've done the work for you. You just need to roll up your sleeves and do some digging. Notice verse 4 and 5. Proper exposition is accomplished by one who is called and anointed by God. Notice here Ezra in verse 4. The scribe gifted by God to teach. We've read their names. Now, in verse 5, Ezra opened the book, and all the people stood to hear. Now, notice verse 6. Proper exposition produces and points the people of God to the worship of God. They lifted up their hands, symbolic of dependency, surrender, if you will, a desire to touch God. But here the worship, lifting up holy hands, dependency, surrender, desire to touch God. And notice they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord, a position of humility and reverence. This comes through the hearing of the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Remember, the people had lost their Hebrew tongue. They learned Aramaic during the 70 years captivity. So these guys are there to help them understand. They lost their language. Martin Luther said, quote, I study my Bible as I gather apples. First, I shake the whole tree that the, the ripest might fall. Then I shake each limb. And when I have shaken each limb, I shake each branch and every twig. Then I look under every leaf. I search the Bible as a whole, like shaking the whole tree. Then I shake every limb, study book after book. Then I shake every branch, giving attention to the chapter when they do not break the sense. And then I shake every twig or a careful study of the paragraphs and sentences and words and their meaning. That's good exposition. You see? It doesn't come by just reading a verse, oh, okay, now, you, now, now tell me your opinion. No, 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 no. You got to spend some time in it. You got to find the context. What, is, what goes before it? What goes afterward? When was it written? To who was it written? What was going on? What were the traditions? How was this word used? Who's he talking to? All those questions have to be answered. You're a spiritual detective. All the evidence is there. Don't be looking for your evidence anywhere else. All your evidence is in your text. Ring it out. And you learn the word of God. A calling and anointing is not determined by degrees or academic achievements, by the way, but by God's gifts. You need to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Genesis to Revelation. As a church, as a people. You should read this book, Genesis to Revelation, once a year just to read it so you can get it in you. And then take one book at a time and start reading it, tearing apart the same time you're just reading through. Take, start with the book of Jude, one, one chapter. Tear it apart. Then go to a book that has three chapters. Then go to a book that has five chapters. And you progressively learn how to tear a book down. You start with a small one, and by the time you get to practice makes perfect, by the time you get to the big ones, man, you take Isaiah 66 books and you tear that sucker apart. But you start somewhere, right? Ezra's call and mission is very clear to us. In Ezra 7, 6, 10, and 25, he was a ready scribe to teach the people of God the word of God. God anoints and gives certain people in the body as teachers or pastor teachers. We've been looking at the gifts. God does this severally, as he wills, for his grace and his love. Nobody has anything to boast about Whatever gift you have is for the rest of the body, not just for yourself. My gift is for your benefit, not simply for me. I benefit, but it's for you, not for me. 
This hand has never served itself. I've known it for 60 years. It's never served itself. It served the rest of my body. This thing helps me put my pants on, brush my teeth, shampoo my hair, little that I have, put my shoes on. And this, this, this hand dares to never complain. Ever. That's the illustration in the New Testament. Many members, one body. And yet not one member of the body can say to you, I have no need of you. My feet have never asked me to get a promotion. They're tired of being in the dark. They've never said that. They've never complained about carrying the load. Whatever gift God has given to you, you need to be faithful with it to serve others. The church is equipped with such men. Ephesians 4.11, pastor, teachers, evangelists, on and so forth. 1 Timothy 4.13, 2 Timothy 2.15, to show yourself approved, a workman, not being ashamed, right? Dividing the word of truth. Studying, rolling up your sleeves. Proper exposition will always produce and point me to the true worship of God. This will keep you from a lot of shenanigans that go on in the church. That Christians can be demon-possessed. That's a lie from hell. That the Spirit made you get up and do dumb things. That's a lie. If you know the Word of God, you can say to somebody, you're wrong there. Let me show you what the Bible says. There's no such thing. You must know the Word of God in its context so you can give an answer to every man for the reason of the hope that lies in you with meekness and fear. If you're driving down the street and um, down the freeway and the policeman pulls you over you, and he says, um, let me see your license and registration, insurance. And you give it to him. He says, what's the matter, officer? He says, well, you know, you did whatever. Fill in the blank. You did this. And you say, ah, I didn't know that. Wait, wait, wait. Is this your license? Yes. Oh, if you have a license, you're responsible to know the vehicle code. You tell me you're a Christian? You're responsible for the heavenly code. You need to study it. You need to tear it apart. You need to be able to give answers to people. Because let me let you in on a secret. They're going to hell. They're perishing. And you have the antidote. Hmm. Jesus told the woman of Samaria, you don't know what you worship. The Jews do. And then she pointed to, well, you know, we know when the Messiah comes in. No, no, wait a minute. Those that worship God must worship God in spirit and in truth. Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Truth, the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will never contradict the Word of God. So when you tell me that you're doing something that the Holy Spirit is making you do, but it contradicts the Word of God, guess who's wrong? It's not God. And too many Christians blame the Holy Spirit for their silly shenanigans of emotionalism and circus-type atmosphere. God's a gentleman. He's not the author of confusion. He's dissonant in order. And he always, always limits himself to his word. Do you know that? <laughs> and God will never hold you responsible for anything but his word and nothing more than his word. If we believe good teachers will always prepare the students for what is going to be given on Friday for a test. And when you come in, you expect that material to be on the test. If a teacher gives you material that wasn't given to you in preparation, then that's not a good teacher. She's a deceiver. God has given you a book. The tests of life are here. The final exam 
is in here. Nowhere else. He's not going to ask you something about Webster's Dictionary or Encyclopedia, about global warming or the economics of the United States. He's going to ask you about the Word of God. And if you know the Word of God, you're going to know how to live the life of God. No other way. By the way, worship is the theme of heaven. Revelation 4.10, they're there before the throne of grace, the church. They're all prostrated in their face. Their crowns are to the, at the cast of the feet of Jesus Christ. Study the script so when you get up, you know what you're doing. Don't be standing up there. Worship is the theme of heaven. And if worship is the theme of heaven, then worship is to be the theme on earth, the worship of Jesus Christ. Not of a pastor, not of a movement, not a denomination, not of an experience, but the worship of Jesus Christ. Proper exposition will be expository, and God's people should expect to learn what the scriptures say, what they mean, and how they apply to life. Too many twist the scriptures, even at the point where Paul was already writing in 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. Peter says that men were already twisting the scriptures of Paul, and he calls the writings of Paul scripture. Already in his day, they were corrupting the word of God. And Paul's scriptures are called scripture, the word of God, equal with the Old Testament. How many people are twisting the word of God today? Seeker-friendly. They don't talk about sin or salvation. They're just kind of generalities. They don't deal with sins. They're just very positive. They want to do good works. They're going to bring in the kingdom. But they don't tell people that they need to repent. They don't tell people they're under God's wrath. Well, that's not gospel. Jesus said, listen, you want to follow me? You sure? Uh Okay, listen. You got to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Oh, bummer. He laid it out in the lung, right in front. He didn't say, well, I'll just go find me 12 good men, and I'll kind of work my way in and let them know who I really am and, you know, what the cost is and everything. No, he laid it on the on the ground, right, right, right up front. We should never be deceptive about the gospel. Never. Nor ashamed of it. A call to the word is rewarding by proper exposition. Thirdly, a call to the word results in penetrating conviction of the word. This is the goal. Look at verse 9. All the people mourned and wept when they heard the words of the law. The word was taught to all the people. The word was expounded to convict, not condemn. Convict. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit that shows me that I'm in sin or I need salvation. Condemnation is when Satan rubs my nose in sin that has been forgiven. Or I rub my nose in it or somebody else rub my nose in it. We don't live by condemnation. But conviction is when the Holy Spirit says, what are you doing there? You have no business being there. Repent from it. Confess it. Let's get right. This is what the Word of God does. It's a lamp to our feet. It shows us when we're we're in darkness, when we're, we're wrong. The day was holy, notice, because they responded to the Word, verse 9. Then look at 10 and 11. All the people were told the sinner... And the joy of the Lord, for it was what? Their strength. The joy of the Lord is their strength. Because they had received 
true conviction and manifested it outwardly as evidence of godly sorrow. When God's Spirit convicts you as you hear the Word of God and you agree with God, yes, you're talking to me, Lord, and there's an, a sorrow in your heart and you agree with God, that's what God's after. I can't force you to change your life. I can't convince you of nothing. I trust the word of God to do that in the spirit of God as the word goes forth. But also because God had heard them and forgiven them. There's great joy in that. I remember when I accepted the Lord and to realize that everything I've ever done had been forgiven and that I would never have to give an account for that. What a relief. Man, can you imagine... Just think of your life up to this point if you would have to give account for everything you ever did. Who, who of us would say, go ahead, Lord, judge me. I think I'll figure out, okay? You got to be kidding me. But we think like that because we always compare ourselves to other men and women. The standard is God, perfection. How are we doing now? <laughs> None of us measure up. So then I have to take the righteousness of Jesus Christ unto myself, Right? I can handle that. But also notice because now they had fellowship again. They heard it at the water gate, and often water is symbolic of the word of God. John 15, 3, Jesus says, You are cleansed by the words I have spoken unto you. Ephesians 5, 26 says, He will present himself a bride without spot, wrinkle, any such thing by the washing of the water by the word of God. The word of God just cleanses you. It bathes you. It just refreshes you. Notice verse 12. All the people rejoiced greatly because they understood the words declared to them. The result was fellowship and eating and drinking, communion. The closest thing you can do in the Old Testament as well as the New was to partake of the same bread, dipping in the same bowl. The same stuff that's nourishing you is nourishing me. We're becoming one. You invite someone to your home, you are becoming one. When you go out and eat, you eat with people that you enjoy being with. You don't go out with somebody you, don't, you dislike. You got a big knot in your gut. You don't want that. They're rejoicing. Fellowship. They're drinking. The result was that they gave to others portions. What a joy when we understand what God desires. When we hear God's word. And we know what his will is. And we know what pleases him. And we know that he not only calls us, but he enables us to obey him. That's a great joy. A singular shrub called the sorrowful tree grows on an island near the city of Bombay in India. At sunset, no flowers are to be seen upon it. But half an hour later, the tree is full of blossoms. These yield a sweet odor, they say, but when the sun begins to shine on them, they either fall off or they close up. And thus... It continues flowering in the night during the whole year. Many of our sorrowful convictions will yield a sweet odor of fragrance to our lives that will never be experienced otherwise. When God deals with our sinfulness and we agree with him and it's bitter and we have to go through the difficulty, the consequences, and we want to quit. And we threaten God. And we do all those things. And yet he takes us through. And when we get through 
we would never exchange that experience for all the money in the world because it's made me more like Christ. Valuable lessons, ladies and gentlemen. It comes only through the conviction of the word of God, fellowship with God, my yielding to him to make me more like him. True and godly repentance is through the word which shows us our failures to hit the mark. Only the word of God, by the illuminating work of God, can convict me. If somebody tries to convict me, it just makes me mad. (laughs) We get offended. We say, well, who who do you think you're better than I? But when the Holy Spirit nails me, what am I going to do? I only have one of two choices, to agree or to reject it. To reject it would be a, a real mistake. To agree is what he's looking for. Mourning and weeping is legitimate, but don't remain there. Second Corinthians 7, 9, and 10, it gives us the difference between worldly sorrow, which is regret, godly sorrow. You're glad that you did repent. You don't regret that you repented. See, there, there's not a person out there or a young lady who's living with her boyfriend or whatever and she goes, has a fling and she gets pregnant and then she's all tore up. I don't, I, I, I'm not doubting her, her pain. But as soon as she aborts the child or whatever she does, she'll be back doing the same thing because the sorrow of the world brings forth death. We forget real quick. But the repentance that is godly Recognize that sin against God first, then with man, and it sees the destruction of everybody, and it turns to God. You understand? And I'm glad that I repented. I don't regret that I repented. I'm glad that I repented 36 years ago. (laughs) But the sorrow of the world brings forth death. You go out and do something dumber next time. We don't learn. The joy that will result from conviction and repentance will become strength for life. Joy is the first manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. There's only one fruit of the Spirit, agape, singular. And everything that follows it are manifestations of agape. The first one is right here, joy. When you know you've been forgiven, you know that you're right with God, joy is what's in you. It has nothing to do with what's outside of you. It's not dependent on anything except you and God and your relationship, your fellowship. Great rejoicing comes from knowing that my life is in accord with Scripture and I understand the Word of God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 through 4 speaks about the Word. They gazed upon it, they touched it, the Word of life. Jesus Christ, He has become flesh. He died in your place, died in my place. And he has made me his child by grace through faith. And so a call to the word results in penetrating conviction of the word of God. And that's why we preach the gospel. That's why we teach the word of God. Nehemiah's call to the word is characterized by these three truths. It is realized by personal hunger for God's word. It's rewarding by proper exposition of God's word and results in penetrating conviction of God's word. And God does his work through his word. There's no substitute. There's no shortcuts. 
the Word of God. Pastor Xavier Reese and the deliberate path the Word of God takes in order to transform your life. And this encouraging lesson is available as always on CD. The title to request is A Call to the Word. And for only $4, we'll send you a copy that will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is A Call to the Word, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800 926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please include the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us monitor the effectiveness of this outreach. Does your environment influence your vulnerability to sin? Find out when you tune in to the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com